0: Section 14 of On the Nature of Things. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mark Harrington. On the Nature of Things by Lucretius. Translated by John Selby Watson. Book 5, Part 2. But I shall now proceed to relate, in due course, how the combination of matter established the heaven and the earth, the depths of the seas, and the revolutions of the sun and moon. For assuredly neither the primary elements of things disposed themselves severally in their own order by wisdom or counsel arising from a sagacious understanding, nor certainly did they argue among themselves what motions each should produce but because the primordial atoms of the world being many were agitated by concussions in many ways through an infinite space of time and were accustomed to be carried forward by their own weights and to combine in all modes and to try all efforts as if to ascertain whichsoever of them meeting together might give birth to some offspring It from this cause happens that, being spread abroad during a vast period of duration, and attempting all kinds of combinations and movements, those at length came together, which, having suddenly coalesced, became at first, and become now, from time to time, the commencements of great productions, the origin of the earth, the sea, and the heaven, and of every kind of living creatures." Here, at that time, could be seen neither the chariot of the sun, flying on high with its abundant light, nor the stars of the great firmament, nor the sea, nor the heaven, nor the earth, nor the air, nor could anything be discerned similar to our present objects, but only a certain crude agitation of matter, and a congeries swelling up together. Afterwards, the parts began to separate. And similar things began to be united with similar, and to evolve the world, and display its parts, and arrange in different members, which were generated from all kinds of primordial atoms, whose intervals, courses, connections, weights, impulses, combinations, and motions, discord, exciting war amongst them, from the disagreement of their forms and the variety of their shapes, had disturbed on which account they could not remain all so united or produce such suitable motions among themselves as should lead to the objects which they were to effect, that is, to divide the high heaven from the earth and to cause that the sea and other water should spread abroad separately and that the stars of heaven should shine by themselves pure and distinct. For in the first place the several atoms of earth because they were heavy, and involved one with another, met all together in the middle, and took, as it were, the lowest place. Which atoms, the more closely they cohered, the more effectually they excluded from themselves those particles which were to form the sea, the stars, the sun, and the moon, and the walls of this great world. For all these latter parts of nature consist of more smooth and round particles, and of atoms much more diminutive than the earth and accordingly the fiery ether bursting forth from the several parts through the small pores of the earth first raised itself on high and being light carried with it much fire by a process similar to what we often witness when in the morning the golden rays of the beaming sun first blush over the grass gemmed with dew And when the stagnant lakes and ever flowing rivers exhale a mist, and earth itself sometimes appears to smoke, all which vapours, when they are united in the height above us, cover the heaven in an apparently condensed body. So too, at that time, the light and expanded ether, diffused around in a united mass, collected itself, and thus being widely extended in every direction, enclosed all other things in its vast embrace. To this formation of the ether succeeded the rise of the sun and moon and of those bodies whose orbs revolve in the air between both, bodies which neither the earth nor the vast ether attracted to itself, because they were neither so heavy as to sink down to the earth nor so light as to glide in the highest regions, and yet they so exist between both, that they revolve as active bodies and are a part of the entire world. As in our own bodies, some members may remain at rest while others are still in motion. These substances, therefore, being withdrawn, the earth, where the vast blue region of the sea now spreads, suddenly sunk down, and hollowed out depths by means of the salt flood, and in proportion as, day after day, the surrounding tide of air, and the warm rays of the sun, urged the earth, lying exposed even to its extreme bounds, with frequent impulses. Those substances, therefore, being withdrawn, the earth, where the vast blue region of the sea now spreads, suddenly sunk down, and hollowed out depths by means of the salt flood, and in proportion as, day after day, the surrounding tide of air, and the warm rays of the sun, urged the earth, lying exposed even to its extreme bounds, with frequent impulses, so that, being thus acted upon, it might collect in condensation towards its own center, So much the more the salt fluid, pressed out from its body, increased with its flood the sea and the liquid plains, and so much more the numerous particles of heat and air, escaping forth from other substances, flew upwards and formed, afar from the earth, the lofty and shining temples of the sky. The plains sunk down, and the slopes of the high mountains increased, for such inequality was inevitable, as the rocks could neither subside, nor could all parts of the ground settle to the same level. Thus then the heavy mass of the earth, with condensed bulk, stood firm, and all the heavy grossness of the world, as it were, collected to the bottom, and sunk down like the dregs into the deep. Then the sea, the air, and the fiery ether itself, which were of liquid consistence were all left pure. And of these bodies, some were lighter than others, and the ether, being of the greatest subtlety and levity, floats above the breezes of the air, nor allows its clear substance to mingle with the matters that disturb the aerial regions. It leaves all these lower parts to be swept with violent whirlwinds, it leaves them to be disturbed with tumultuous storms whilst itself, gliding with settled impulse, bears along its own fires. For that the ether may revolve thus steadily, and with uniform tenor, the flood in the euxine shows, which moves with a settled flux, preserving one unvaried direction in its course. Let us now state what is the cause of the motion of the stars. In the first place, if the great orb of heaven whirls round, we must admit that the air presses and urges the sky on either side and confines it externally and encloses it in each direction. Then that another body of air flows over our heads and tends in the same direction in which the bright stars of the eternal world roll. And that there is still other air beneath our feet which carries along the heaven in the opposite direction as we see running streams turn wheels and buckets. It is likewise possible that the whole heaven may remain stationary, though the bright constellations are nevertheless borne along, whether because active tides of ether are confined within the sky and seeking an outlet, whirl themselves round and roll with them the stars through the vast regions of heaven, or whether air... Blowing from some quarter without, wheels and impels the stars, or whether they of themselves can move forward, whither the sustenance of each attracts and invites them, while pursuing their course, and recruiting their igneous substances everywhere throughout the heavens. For which of these causes prevails in this world, it is difficult to lay down as certain, but I demonstrate only what is possible." and may be effected throughout the universe in various worlds, formed in various ways, and seek to assign several causes for the motions of the stars, which causes may operate in different parts through the whole of things, but of which one must necessarily be this very cause that produces motion in our stars, though to decide which of them it is is by no means the part of a man proceeding like myself cautiously and step by step and that the earth may rest in the middle part of the world it is necessary that its weight should gradually as it were become evanescent and imperceptible and that it should have another substance beneath it united with it from its earliest age and closely connected with the aerial parts of the world in which it was produced and continues to live. The earth is, therefore, no burden to the air, nor at all depresses it, just as his limbs are no burden to a man, and just as the head is no burden to the neck, nor do we feel the whole weight of the body press upon the feet. But whatever weights fall upon us, and are laid upon us externally, hurt or annoy us, although they are often far less than those which are within us. Of so great importance it is to understand what one thing can affect by union with another. The earth, accordingly, was not brought into this world suddenly as a foreign body, and cast from some other quarter upon air that was strange to it, but was produced together with the rest of the world, and as a regular part of it, at its first origin, just as our members are seen to be formed with us. Besides the earth, when shaken with violent thunder, immediately shakes all things which are above it with its motion, an effect which it could by no means produce unless it were combined with the aerial parts of the world and with the heaven, for they cohere by common connections, one with the other, conjoined and coalescing in union from the earliest period. Do you not observe also how exquisitely subtle a substance of the soul sustains the body, which is of great weight, simply because it is so closely united and combined with it? What power, too, but that of the soul, which governs the limbs, can raise the body with a vigorous leap from the ground? Do you now understand how much force a subtle substance may have when it is united with a heavy body, as the air is joined with the earth and the power of the soul with ourselves? Nor can the circumference of the sun be much greater, or its fire less, than it appears to our senses. For from whatever distances fires can throw their rays, and cast a warm heat upon our bodies, the ejection of the heat from those distances detracts nothing from the bulk of the igneous matter, and the fire is not all more contracted to the view, since, therefore, the heat of the sun and its effused light, reach to our senses, and the parts about us shine with its rays, the form and outline of the sun must, on this account, appear as it really is, so that you can add nothing more to it, or make it less. And the moon, whether, as she glides through the sky, she illuminates its regions with a borrowed light, or whether she sends forth radiance from her own body. Whichsoever is the case, she is, as she pursues her course, of no larger a dimension than she appears to our eyes as we observe her. For all objects which, being far remote from us, we view through a large body of air, look confused in their appearance, before their outline seems at all diminished. For which reason the moon, since it presents a clear shape and defined outline, as it does whenever its outmost edges are observed, must hence appear to us in the sky just as large as it is. Further, whatsoever stars in the heavens you view from hence can assuredly be only very little less, or only very little larger then they appear, since of whatsoever fires we see on the earth, even whilst the motion of their light is plain, and their glow is clearly perceived, the outline seems at times to vary in one way or another, contracting or expanding, according as it is more or less distant. It is not, moreover, a matter of wonder, how so small a body as the sun can emit so large a quantity of light as to cover with its flood the seas the whole earth and the heavens and to pervade all things with its quickening heat since it is possible that one fountain of the light of the whole world opened from hence may flow forth abundantly and scatter its radiance abroad Because the atoms of heat, we may suppose, so meet together here from all parts of the world, and their assemblage forms such a flood that all this heat may flow from one source. For do you not observe, too, how small a spring of water sometimes irrigates the meadows far and wide, and flows exuberantly over the fields? It is also possible that heat may pervade the air with a strong glow from no very great fire in the sun, if, perchance, the air be so tempered and disposed as to be excited to warmth, though affected with but gentle fervor. As we sometimes see fire from one spark spread in all directions, among cornfields and straw. And perhaps the sun, shining on high with its rosy light, contains about it much heat in secret stores of fire, which, though it be distinguished by no brightness, yet, retaining a glow, increases the force of the rays to such a degree as we experience. Nor does the law of the sun's motion appear plain and evident nor is it demonstrable how he passes from his summer regions to the wintry part of his course in Capricorn, and how, coming back from thence, he turns to the solstitial points. Nor do we understand how the moon seems to traverse that space in each month in passing through which the sun occupies the period of a year. A plain reason, I say, has not been assigned for these phenomena. For, in the first place, That appears possible, which the venerable opinion of the philosopher Democritus asserts, that the nearer each of the heavenly bodies is to the earth, the less swiftly can they be carried round by the revolution of the heaven, since the rapid and strong force of the upper sky decreases and loses its power beneath, and that, accordingly, the sun, with the lower constellations following it, is gradually left behind, because it is much beneath the fiery signs. Also that the moon, from this same cause, falls back so much the more, for the more distant its course, being lower, is from the heaven, and approaches to the earth, the less can it exert its swiftness with the signs. Since the more gentle is the speed with which the moon, being lower than the sun, is borne along, the more easily, all the signs around overtake it and are carried past it hence it happens that the moon seems to return more quickly to each sign because the signs return towards it it is possible also that two currents of air at a certain season may blow in turns from opposite quarters of the world of which currents one may be that which drives the sun from the summer signs into the winter part of his course, and into freezing cold, and the other may be that which sends him back from the freezing shades of cold into the warm regions and glowing constellations. And, in like manner, we may suppose that the moon and the stars, which revolve for long years in vast orbits, may move by means of two currents of air in opposite directions. Do you not notice also that clouds, by means of opposite winds go in different ways the lower contrary to the upper and why therefore may not these heavenly bodies be borne through the vast circuits of the sky by currents opposed to each other the reason why night covers the earth with its great darkness is either because the light grows weak when the sun after his long course has reached the extremity of the heaven and has sent forth his fires languidly as being exhausted with the journey and wasted by passing through a long tract of air or because the same force which carried the solar orb above the earth compels it to turn its course beneath the earth matuta also the goddess of the morning leads forth the rosy aurora and spreads abroad the light at a certain hour, either because the same sun, which was under the earth, returning again, aspires to the heaven, proceeding to enlighten it with his rays, or because, at that particular time, bodies of fire congregate, and many atoms of heat are accustomed to meet in confluence, which cause a new light of the sun to be perpetually produced. Thus it is said, That from the lofty hills of Ida, the rays of the sun, when his light rises in the east, are seen dispersed, and that they afterwards collect, as it were, into one body, and form a complete orb. Nor ought it, in such phenomena, to be a subject of wonder, that these atoms of fire can thus flow together and renew the splendor of the sun at a certain time for we observe many other things which take place at a certain time in all departments of nature the groves flourish at a certain time and at a certain time drop their verdure at a certain time also age directs the teeth to be shed and causes the immature youth to bloom with soft down and to let the flexible beard too descend from his cheeks Lightnings, moreover, snow, rain, cloudy weather, and winds, take place at seasons of the year by no means uncertain. For since the first commencement of causes thus arose, and the affairs of the world thus proceeded, as at present, from their earliest origin, every event is a consequence in the unvarying course of things. That the days also increase while the nights grow shorter, and that the days are diminished in length when the nights become augmented, may possibly happen, either because the same sun, revolving below and above the earth, divides the regions of the air with unequal curves, and distinguishes the orb of heaven into dissimilar parts, while, whatever it has taken from one part of it, it adds, as it revolves, just so much to the opposite part, until it has come to that sign in the heavens where the node of the year makes the darkness of night equal to the light of day. For the heaven has two separate points at equal distances where the courses of the north wind and the south meet, owing to the position of the whole circle of the zodiac in which the revolving sun consumes the period of the year, illumining the earth and the sky with a bleak light, as the system of those declares who have observed that whole region of the heaven which is distinguished by the array of the twelve signs or because the air is denser in certain parts the tremulous rays of light are therefore retarded and cannot easily penetrate it and emerge to the dawn for which reason the nights in the winter delay long until the bright herald of day returns Or, again, because, at alternate seasons of the year, the atoms of flame, which cause the sun to rise in a particular part of the heavens at a particular time, are accustomed to congregate slower or faster. As for the moon, she may shine because she is struck with the rays of the sun, and may turn towards us every day a larger portion of light in her aspect, as she recedes farther from the sun's orb, until being opposite to him she has shone forth with fullest splendour and rising on high in the east has beheld his setting in the west thence also retiring backwards she may as it were hide her light gradually as she approaches from the opposite side along the circle of the zodiac nearer to the sun's radiance as those philosophers suppose who make the moon to be in shape like a ball, and to pursue her path of revolution beneath the sun, and hence it happens that they seem to say what is true. There is also a hypothesis by which the moon may revolve and present various phases of brightness with her own light, for it is possible that there may be another body which moves and advances together with her, and which in every way obstructs and hinders her light, but nevertheless cannot be seen, as it passes along in total darkness. And the moon may possibly revolve upon her axis, like a ball tinged with shining light only on one side, and may, by turning her orb, present to us her various phases. Thus, progressively, she turns that part which is illuminated, so as to behold us with a full aspect and open eye. Then, by degrees, she turns away and removes from us the brilliant side of her orb, as indeed the Babylonish doctrine of the Chaldeans taught, which, refuting the method of the Greek astrologers, labors to support this hypothesis in opposition to it, just as if that, for which each contends, might not be true, or as if there were any reason why you should choose to embrace one opinion less than the other. Further, when you see so many things produced in a certain order, it is difficult to demonstrate by reason, and to evince by argument, why a new moon may not be generated every day, with a certain succession of phases and figures, and each moon, as it diurnally arises, diurnally decay, and another be reproduced in its place and station for the spring and venus begin their course and the winged zephyr the harbinger of spring walks before near whose footsteps maternal flora preparing the way covers the whole path with richest flowers and perfumes next follows scorching summer and dusty ceres closely attendant on her and the etesian breezes of the northern winds then succeeds autumn together with whom advances bacchus then follow other weather and other winds the loud resounding southeast and the south fraught with thunder at length cold brings on snows and spreads abroad benumbing chillness and winter comes after and frost chattering with his teeth since therefore so many things may occur at a certain time it is the less surprising if the moon is at a certain time produced and at a certain time decays. As for the eclipses of the sun and occultations of the moon, you must suppose that they may arise from various causes. For, as you perhaps ask, why should the moon only be thought able to shut out the world from light and to oppose her high head to it on the side of the earth? Obtending her dark orb to the sun's glowing rays and not some other body which may always revolve devoid of light be considered able to produce such an effect at the same time and why also may not the sun at a certain time send forth his radiance languidly and again renew his splendor when in his passage through the air he has passed by certain places which we may suppose, are hurtful to his beams, and which cause his fires to be suppressed and extinguished. And why should the earth have power in its turn to deprive the moon of light, and passing itself above, to keep the sun shut out from her, while she passes monthly through the dense coniform shadow? And why should not some other body be able, at that time, to pass beneath the moon, or to glide over the orb of the sun, which body may intercept from her his effulgent rays and spreading light. And still, if the moon shines herself by her own brightness, why may she not grow dim in a certain part of the world, while she passes through regions noxious to her light? For what remains, since I have shown how everything may occur in the blue sky of our vast world, in order that we might understand what power and causes might produce the varied course of the sun and the wanderings of the moon, and by what means they are accustomed to have their light obstructed and eclipsed, and to spread sudden darkness over the earth when they shut their eyes, as it were, for a time, and then, having opened them again, cover every fair region with shining light. I now return to the early age of the world and the tender fields of earth, to consider what kind of productions they first ventured with their new power of generation to raise into the regions of light and to commit to uncertain winds in the beginning then the earth spread over the hills the growth of herbs and the beauty of verdure and the flowery fields throughout all regions shone with a green hue and then was given to the various kinds of trees full power of shooting upwards through the air. For as feathers and hairs and bristles are first produced over the limbs of quadrupeds and the bodies of the winged tribes, so the new earth then first put forth herbs and trees, and afterwards generated the numerous races of animals, which arose in various forms and by various modes. For animals, that were to live on the earth, could assuredly neither have fallen from the sky, nor have come forth from the salt depths of the sea. It remains, therefore, to believe that the earth must justly have obtained the name of Mother, since from the earth all living creatures were born. And even now many animals spring forth from the earth, which are generated by means of moisture and the quickening heat of the sun. It is accordingly less wonderful if, at the same time, creatures more numerous and of larger size arose, and came to maturity while the earth and the air were yet fresh and vigorous. First of all, the race of winged animals and the variegated birds left their eggs being excluded in the season of spring as grasshoppers, in these days, spontaneously leave their thin coats in the summer, proceeding to seek sustenance and life. Next, be assured, the earth produced, for the first time, the tribes of men and beasts, for much heat and moisture abounded through the plains, and hence, where any suitable region offered itself, a kind of wombs sprung up, adhering to the earth by fibers. These, when the age of the infants within them at the season of maturity had opened, escaping from their moist enclosure and seeking for air, nature, in those places, prepared the pores of the earth and forced it to pour from its open veins a liquid like milk, just as every woman at present, when she has brought forth, is stored with sweet milk because all the strength of the food is directed to the breasts. Thus the earth afforded nourishment to the infants, the warmth rendered a garment unnecessary, and the grass supplied a couch abounding with luxuriant and tender down. But the early age of the world gave forth neither severe cold nor extraordinary heat, nor winds of impetuous violence, for all these alike increase and acquire strength by time. For which cause, I say again and again, the earth has justly acquired and justly retains the name of mother, since she herself brought forth the race of men, and produced, at this certain time, almost every kind of animal which exults over the vast mountains, and the birds of the air, at the same period, with all their varied forms. But because she must necessarily have some termination to bearing, she ceased, like a woman, exhausted by length of time, for lapse of time changes the nature of the whole world, and one condition after another must succeed to all things, nor does any being continue always like itself. All is unsettled, nature alters and appels every thing to change for one thing decays, and grown weak through age languishes another again grows up and bursts forth from contempt thus age changes the nature of the whole world and one condition after another falls upon the earth so that what she could once bear she can no longer while she can bear what she did not bear of old the earth also in that age made efforts to produce various monsters that sprung up with wonderful faces and limbs the hermaphrodite between both sexes, and not either, but removed from both, others wanting feet, and others destitute of hands. Some also were found dumb for want of a mouth, and some blind, without even a face. And others again were shackled by the cohesion of their limbs over their whole bodies, so that they could neither do anything nor go in any direction, could neither avoid harm nor take what was necessary to preserve life other prodigies and portents of this kind she generated but to no purpose for nature abhorred and prevented their increase nor could they reach the desired maturity of age or find nutriment or be united in the pleasures of love For we see that many circumstances must concur with other circumstances in order that living creatures may be able to produce their kinds by propagation. First, it is necessary that there be food. Then, that there be genial semen throughout the organs, which may flow when the limbs are relaxed in union. And likewise, for the female to be united with the male, they must both have correspondent members, by which each may combine in mutual delight with the other. Many kinds of animal life, too, must then have perished, not having been able to continue their species by propagation. For whatever creatures you see breathing the vital air, assuredly either craft or courage or at least activity has preserved and defended their race from the commencement of its existence and there are many which from the usefulness to mankind remain as it were entrusted to us and committed to our guardianship in the first place courage has protected the fierce brood of lions and the savage races of other wild animals and craft has secured the fox as swiftness has saved the stag but the light slumbering breed of dogs with their faithful affections And all the various species of horses, and the woolly flocks too, and horned cattle, all these, my dear Memmius, are committed to the protection of man. For they have anxiously avoided wild beasts, and have sought peace, and plenty of subsistence has been provided for them without labour of theirs, which subsistence we secure to them as a reward in return for their service. But of those to whom nature has given no such qualities, that they should either be able to live of themselves or to afford us any service, why should we suffer the races to be maintained and protected by our support? Indeed, all these, rendered helpless by their own fatal bonds, were exposed as a prey and a prize to other animals, until nature brought their whole species to destruction. But centaurs and such creatures, there neither were, nor ever can be, for there can never exist an animal formed of a double nature and of two bodies, an animal made up of such heterogeneous members that the power in the opposite portions of the frame cannot possibly be equal. This you may learn with however dull an understanding from the following observations. First the horse, when three years of his age have passed, is flourishing in full vigour. The boy, at this time of life, is by no means so, but will even often seek in his sleep the milky teats of his mother's breast. Afterwards, when, in old age, his lusty vigor and stout limbs are failing the horse, growing torpid as life is departing, behold, at that very period, the young man's age being in its flower, youth prevails in him and closed his cheeks with soft down, so that you cannot possibly imagine that centaurs can be composed or consist of a man and the servile seed of a horse, or that there can be skilli of half-marine bodies kinctured with fierce dogs, or other monsters of this sort, whose parts we observe to be incompatible with each other. Parts which neither grow up together in their bodies, nor acquire vigor together, nor lose their strength together in old age, and which are neither excited by the same objects of affection, nor agree with the same tempers, nor find that the same kinds of food are nutritious to their bodies. For you may observe that bearded goats often grow fat on hemlock, which to men is rank poison. Since, too, the flame of fire is accustomed to scorch and burn up the tawny bodies of lions, as well as every kind of creature on earth that consists of flesh and blood, how was it possible that a chimera, one animal compounded of three bodies, the forepart a lion, the hinder a dragon, the middle a goat, could blow abroad at its mouth a fierce flame out of its body? For which reason... He who supposes that such animals might have been produced, even when the earth was new and the air fresh, leaning for argument only on this empty term of newness, may babble with equal reason many other hypotheses of a like nature. He may say that rivers of gold then flowed everywhere over the earth, and that the groves were accustomed to blossom with jewels or that men were formed with such power and bulk of limbs that they could extend their steps over the deep seas and turn the whole heaven around them with their hands. For though, at the time when the earth first produced animal life, there were innumerable seeds of things in the ground, this is yet no proof that creatures could have been generated of mixed natures and that heterogeneous members of animals could have been blended together. Since the various kinds of herbs and fruits and rich groves, which even now spring up exuberantly from the earth, can nevertheless not be produced with a union of different kinds. But they can readily be produced if each proceeds in its own order, and all preserve their distinctions according to the fixed law of nature. End of section fourteen.